0: Okay, good morning. Grab your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 14. Uh, This morning we're going to be looking at Melchizedek. So, and I promise you, before we're done in Genesis chapter 14, you're going to know who Melchizedek actually is. So how many people are excited about that? Like the mystery, who is Melchizedek? Everybody wants to know. I'm gonna tell you, Eric, okay. (laughs) Let's pray and uh, let's get to work in the word. Father, we love you, Lord, we need you, and God, we just ask that you'd take this time that we have in your word, and that, God, it would fall out to your intent that, Lord, we might be edified, that we might be instructed. Lord, where we need it, uh, encourage us. And where we need it, it rebuke us, correct us, instruct us. Uh, Lord, we want the mind of Christ, and so, Lord, help us to see Jesus in the pages of Scripture this morning. Uh, Lord, we're going to look at this incredible type of Christ, um, Melchizedek, whose priesthood Christ was ordained to. Uh, Lord, help us to see. He's a big deal in our Bible, and... and, um, and Lord, we don't want to just understand facts about this great priest, uh, this great king, this prophet. Uh, Lord, we want to hear your word, and we, wanna, we, we, we don't want just data. We want, we want you to speak to us, speak into our lives and be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so last time in Genesis 14 we saw a Lot. Lot, Lot's got a big problem, Lot's problem is, is he's got a taste of Egyptian living, uh, you know, Abraham made a mistake, there was a famine in the land and God promised him this land and instead of trusting the Lord for provision in his promises, Abraham, Abraham, got, Abraham got a really good idea. And he decided what he would do is he'd go down to Egypt, and and so it's written that way in Scripture. He went down into Egypt because there's a there's a spiritual slide, there's a spiritual re- regression that takes place. He's leaving the place of faith, and he's getting help from Egypt, a type of the world, a type of of, of bondage to sin, and and so you know while he's there. Uh, Lot gets a taste for Egyptian living, and so when it comes to the t- to the point where Abram and Lot are back in the land they 're so blessed that the land can 't hold all of their herds in one location. they have to divide up. Lot decides he wants i mean he just wants to make his way towards sodom sodom uh, it's it 's like it 's like Egypt as you come to Zoar and so he 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 starts by. Taking that direction, but he pitches his tent towards Sodom, and then pretty soon he's living there. And and next thing he knows, he's captured. Okay, so you've got four kings coming against five, and and uh, this battle of five kings, man, it's a catastrophe in Sodom, and and Lot is taken. So Abram goes after him with his trained men, and and uh, he's a bad mamma jammer. I mean, you can say whatever you want about Abram, but but uh, they don't play, and and so. He's taken out an army that's equipped to deal with giants. That's just how bad, I mean if we want to get technical, how bad a mammer is Abram? He's that bad, okay? Uh, you don't mess with Abram uh, in warfare. And so uh, here's the rescue and so what we're gonna see now, we're gonna start in verse 18. This is kind of like every Star Wars, you know the Star Wars movies at the end. Um, maybe Mike Kinnick could tell me what the exact term is. You know the victory lap at the end? And so like the key players in the Star Wars movie are just kind of like, but there's like parades and music and everybody's grinning like, is there a technical name for that? It's the victory lap, okay. You, you guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, so it's kind of like that at the end of Star Wars, Abram is taking his victory lap and <laughs> so he, he's, he's returning from Damascus. He's on his way back to Hebron and. And so he stops over at Jerusalem for this, big, for this big blessing by Melchizedek. Verse 18, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the most high God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he, Abram, gave him, Melchizedek, tithes of all. And so get this down in your notes. What we're gonna see today is Melchizedek, he is a great king, but he's also a type of Christ. How? Well, he, as king of Salem, brought forth, the Bible says, bread and wine. And he was the priest of the most high God. And so let's first look at Melchizedek's rule and his offices. Okay, what we're seeing here in these two verses, verses 18 and 20, 18 says he's a king and a priest and in verse 19 we find out he's a prophet. What does he say? And he blessed him and he said, and said blessed be Abram of the most high God, here comes, possessor of heaven and earth. Uh, That is a big epic prophecy over Abram's life and his descendants. So Melchizedek is a king and a priest and a prophet. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is also a king He is a priest and a prophet. First Timothy chapter six tells you he is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. As a matter of fact, he wears that title in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 16. He hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. I don't know if you know this this morning, but Jesus is king. Did you know that? He is the ultimate king, he is the final authority. Jesus is king. We're gonna skip the priest aspect of Melchizedek and the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll come to that in a moment. But Jesus is that prophet. Melchizedek is a prophet. He prophesies over Abram. Well, Jesus is the ultimate prophet. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. This is a prophecy concerning Christ as the prophet. Deuteronomy 18, 15 says, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet, And notice the capital P, it's one of his names, one of the names of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's prophet. He shall raise up, uh, God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, Moses says, a prophet like unto Moses, unto him shall ye hearken. And in Acts chapter three, the apostles are preaching it. They're preaching Deuteronomy 18. Look at Acts 3.22. Moses truly said unto the fathers, a prophet, shall the lord your god raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you and it shall pass it shall come to pass and it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people yea and all the prophets from samuel and those that follow after as many have spoken have likewise foretold of these days ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abram, and in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first, God, right? Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus. So if there's any question about who this prophet is, here's the reveal. God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Jesus is that prophesied prophet from Deuteronomy chapter 18, but he's also our great high priest. Okay, so he is king, he is prophet, and just like Melchizedek is priest of the most high God, uh, Jesus is our high priest. So let's talk about Melchizedek's priesthood. Six times in the Bible, God says that Jesus Christ is ordained. He is after, he is in the order of Melchizedek. Psalms 110 verse four, thou art, this is a prophecy concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews five, uh, verse five. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, thou art my son, today have I begotten thee, as he saith also in another place, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. There it is again. Verse 10, he's called of God and high priest. Jesus is called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Chapter six and verse 20, again, Jesus made and high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So Christ himself is ordained into, he is determined to be after the order of Melchizedek in terms of his priesthood. Here is your big passage on Melchizedek in your New Testament, Hebrews chapter seven. Let's pick it up in verse one. Hebrews chapter seven and verse one. For this Melchizedek, and again, we'll, we'll see his names in a, in a moment. He's king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. To whom also, to Melchizedek, to whom also Abram or Abraham gave a tenth part of all he tithed. First being by interpretation, here it is, Melchizedek is the king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Verse three says, without father, Without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God abideth, Christ abideth a priest continually. So just as Melchizedek is a king, he's a prophet and a priest, so also Christ. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He is that prophet and he's our great high priest. Is everybody with me so far? Melchizedek is a type of Christ. No question about it. So here he is, priest of the Most High God, receiving tithes from Abram. We will circle back to that. We're not a church that talks about giving all the time, but when we do, no holds barred. Here's the only, you know, in in the Old Testament, Psalms 110, the only mention in the Old Testament where he's a priest after the the order of Melchizedek, what does it say in Psalms 110 verse four? It's continual, right? It's a forever priesthood. Thou art a priest forever, Psalms 110 verse four, after the order of Melchizedek. So the Levitical priesthood, um, you'll see lack, there'll be uncleanness, there'll be failings, but also um, it's mortal, it's a mortal priesthood. Not so, not so with Christ. Now I want you to notice Melchizedek, what he's doing. Okay? Notice the two elements provided by Melchizedek. And there's a picture here of the Lord's Supper. There's also a tie-in to Joseph. So let's look at his ministry. This priest, Melchizedek, brings bread and wine to Abram. And all of this is used to prophesy and to point to the person of Christ. Just like Joseph is a type of Christ, okay? He has, you remember Joseph had some key interaction with bread and wine, do you remember that? In Joseph, and well, we'll get to it. We'll we'll eventually get to Genesis 40, but don't we'll just we'll just we'll preview Genesis 40 this morning. Just remember Joseph's interpretations in prison in Genesis chapter 40. And you remember uh, there's a there's a baker and a butler, and they both have dreams, and they're freaked out. And Joseph tells them the meanings of the dreams, and and so we'll get into all the details of that when we get to chapter 40. But the wine that the cupbearer dreams about, well, that resulted in his promotion, didn't it? The wine results in promotion for the cupbearer. Why? Well, the picture in your Bible, um, wine will picture, it will be related to or analogous to blood, okay? Now, there's a difference between wine as blood in your Bible and then the, the fruit of the vine, unfermented grape juice. That's what we use, that's what, That's what you have at the Lord's Supper, the fruit of the vine, Uh, and so we use that because it's not been, you know, the yeast uh, process hasn't been applied to it. It's the pure blood of the vine, pure blood of the grape, which pictures the purity of Christ's shed blood for the remission of our sin. Okay, but but wine also has a connection to blood, and, and so types, you know, they only go so far. But, uh, but you can't miss the analogy, okay? Christ's blood, well that's life for us, isn't it? That's your next blank. The blood of Jesus Christ washes away our sin and it promotes us to eternal life. And so here you have a butler who dreams about bearing a cup and, and, and this cup results in a promotion from him out of the bondage of prison into service to the king. Well, so also the blood of Christ. It washes away our sin, promotes us to eternal life, and it promotes us into service of our king. Is everybody with me so far? Okay. Christ's life, right, Christ's blood, it's our life. Uh, his blood washes away our sin, and this is how we enter into the righteousness of God. It's a, it, that same picture, we see it illustrated for us in the Lord's table, Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, "Take eat, this is my body." And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, "Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the new testament, which is said shed for many for the remission of sins." So, blood promotion for the cup bearer, bread. Okay, Baker dreams about bread. He's carrying bread. He wants to serve the king, but the birds are giving him, you know, giving him trouble. And what's going on with my dream? And And the bread dream results in death for the baker, why? Well, Christ bore in his body our sins. His body had to die. Remember Jesus in John 5 saying, I am the bread of life? Christ's body, the bread of life, bore our sin and our death. Christ became, he was reckoned. He committed none of our sin, yet he was reckoned all of it on the cross of Calvary. He bore in his body our sins. His body, that bread on the cross, bore our sin and satisfied God's wrath. Again, this is a picture of the Lord's Supper as they were eating, Matthew 26, 26. Jesus took bread, blessed it and break it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And the Bible is very clear. It was in his body that he bore our sins. And so the body dies, First Peter 2, verse 24. Christ, who his own self, bare our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. So that's an amazing, is one of the most wonderful things for us as New Testament born again believers, the fact that everything I did, my sin, my rebellion against God, the wickedness, every thought, word, deed, every act of wickedness and perversion that I've ever created, the totality of the sin of my life, Christ bore it all in his body. In his body he bore my sins to Calvary. Now he didn't commit any of those sins, right? He did not commit any wickedness and yet he was reckoned it for you and I. So Colossians 2 says he took our sin, nailing it to his tree. He bore and then he suffered God's wrath over our sins. He died for our sins, he was buried. He lay in the grave for three full days, three full nights, On the third day, he rose to eternal life. So Christ bore our sins in his body. His righteous blood was shed to wash away those sins. And now the infinite God has satisfied God's wrath over the second Adam, has satisfied God's wrath over the first. All of humanity is covered by the blood of Christ. And all you have to do this morning is say, God, I acknowledge my sin before you. I recognize I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. Lord Jesus, forgive my sin. Come into my heart and life. Cleanse me. I know you bore my sin in your body 2,000 years ago. I know Christ's wrath was poured out on you on the cross of Calvary. I know that you died for me. I know that your blood was shed to wash away my sin. So God, I'm just calling on you for your mercy, your forgiveness, and your grace. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and life. <laughs> Save me. There is a fount filled with blood, right? It was drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And you know what a sinner has to do, right? We come to the foot of Calvary and the blood of Christ washes our sins away. Christ's blood washes my sin away. And the Bible's very clear about this, Revelation 1.5. He washed us. Jesus loved us, right? And washed us from our sins in his own blood. Acts 20, verse 28. The church of God, he bought us, he purchased us, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Hebrews 9.14, the blood of Christ purges our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. First Peter 1.18, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain lifestyle, your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, you can't go through the motions and be right with God, you can't keep You can't keep ceremonies and feasts and religious rites and be right with God. How are we redeemed? Well, not with corruptible things or vain traditions, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. 1 John 1, verse seven. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Ephesians 1, seven. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. And again, we see that in the Last Supper, Matthew 26. Verses 26 and 28, this is my blood of the New Testament which is shed for many for the remission of sins. There it is. So here's the key. Why is Abraham meeting with this man who is a, who is a perfect type of Christ? Why is this happening? Well, remember our big picture scenario. Uh, we get that 50,000 foot overview of Genesis. It's all about that first prophecy, isn't it? I mean God puts God puts man in the in paradise and he he so loves him. He's so not willing that he would perish. He warns him away from this decision, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You decide right. Okay, you're going to guard, you're going to tend the garden, but you're not going to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And I'm not willing that you die, so don't eat it. It's pretty simple, right? Well, it's easy to get confused. <laughs> Eve was deceived and she gave to her husband. He was not deceived, 1 Timothy 2 says. He ate on purpose. He, I mean, that's why all sin is reckoned in Adam. In Adam, all die. He rebelled against God. He chose his wife over his maker. So he enters into her sin condition and, and so in Adam all die, but even so in Christ, right? It's in Christ Jesus that we're made alive. So, so, you know, they're hiding from God in the garden, naked, the sin, of, the sin and the shame, right? They're, it's naked before the, they're hiding, and uh, God's calling to <clears> them. <throat> they come out, and, and they reckon through this, and, and there's this prophecy that comes that, that there's gonna be conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of Satan, and, and her seed will crush the serpent will crush satan's head you will bruise his heel you're going to hurt him but he's going to destroy you and so we got this prophecy of the skull crusher it's another name for jesus it's pretty tough skull crusher okay so he's going to he's going to crush your head you know <laughs> so we're getting down now aren't we i mean by the time we get to genesis 10 and 11 we find out what family that the skull crusher is going to come through. It's coming through Abram. It's going to come through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so this fulfillment of the Genesis three 3.15 prophecy is through Abram, so the typical Christ is revealed to Abraham, Melchizedek, this type of the skull crusher, this perfect type of Christ. Abram now has this relationship with him. So let's get to it. Who is Melchizedek? This is what all the Bible school students really wanna know anyway. And you were like, yeah, 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 beautiful, type of Christ, whatever. Get to it, man! Okay, so let's talk about his names. Well, I'll tell you who Melchizedek was. He's the king of Salem. He's the king of righteousness and the king of peace. Hebrews 7-1 tells you this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. So he is ruler of which city? He is the king of Zion. He is the king of Salem. Melchizedek reigns in Salem. Salem is another Bible name for the city of, it's not like Salem in Massachusetts, witchcraft, you know, no, (laughs) Jerusalem, right? This is Jerusalem where Christ himself will reign and rule during the millennial reign of Christ. Psalm 76 verse two, in Salem also is his, is Christ's tabernacle and his dwelling place in Zion. Zechariah eight verse three, thus saith the Lord, I am returned unto Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth. Zechariah eight is a great prophetic passage on the millennial rule of Christ from Jerusalem. So it's gonna be from Jerusalem. This Jerusalem will be called the city, a city of truth. And the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain, thus saith the Lord of hosts, there shall yet old men and old women dwell in the streets of Jerusalem, and every man with his staff in his hand for, every, uh, for, for very age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets thereof. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, if it be marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of, his, of this people in these days, should it also be marvelous in mine eyes, saith the Lord of hosts. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. So Melchizedek is king of Salem. He's king of Jerusalem. Salem means peace in your Bible. So that's one of Melchizedek's names. You want to know who Melchizedek? You want to know who Melchizedek is? He is the king of peace. He's the king of Salem. Notice how important that is in the dispensation of grace. You ever notice how Paul starts all of his letters to all of the churches the same way? Grace be unto you and peace, right? How do we get peace? Well, from our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Melchizedek is the king of peace, but he's also, you wanna know who Melchizedek is? He's also the king of righteousness. That's another one of his names. Who is Melchizedek? Well, he's the king of righteousness. Why is that? Well, there can be no real peace without righteousness. Righteousness and peace go together. That's why you're in trouble if you don't have Christ in your life because there is no righteousness before God without Jesus, so there's no peace with God. Christ himself, what we find out as we study our Bible, Christ himself is our righteousness. Philippians 3.9 says that we are to be found in him, not having our own righteousness. That was Paul's cry. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. My righteousness doesn't come in my ability to do the right thing. That's not how I have righteousness before God. My righteousness is not of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. My righteousness is reckoned me by God whenever I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's such a relief to know. I mean, brothers and sisters, check it out. You know what you're looking at? I know, I know some of you are like, I don't know what I'm looking at. You are looking at one righteous dude. I'm very righteous. I'm totally, I'm 100% righteous. I am completely, totally righteous through and through. You're like, you're pretty full of yourself. Nope, no I'm not. I'm full of Jesus. There's a big difference. In me, I'll say, I'll agree with the Apostle Paul all day long in Romans 7. In me, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. In terms of who I am, I mean, you're looking at a mess in the flesh. In terms of who I am after the flesh, oh, oh, wretched man that I am. I can say that present tense. But let me tell you who I am in the person of Christ. Once you're reckoned in Christ, that's the whole enchilada, okay? That's the big biscuit. I mean, that's everything you have scored. Once you're in Christ, you have it all. You are reckoned the righteousness of God in the person of Christ himself. Is Christ partially or totally righteous? Man, he is righteousness, okay? I mean, in him, and once you have the righteousness of Christ reckoned to you, so when God sees me, he doesn't see me in my sin, he sees me in Christ, praise the Lord. Now I have peace with God. You see how that works? If my righteousness so is, if my works, if my ability to do the right thing is the prerequisite for my right relationship with the Lord, well then, Heaven will never be possible. I'll never have a right relationship with God. No matter what I do, I'll always fall short of the grace of God. All have sinned and fallen, fallen short, right? All sin, all fall short of the glory of God. We can't meet right, God's righteous, holy standard. I mean, if God's charging his angels with folly, what do you think he's charging us with? The wages of sin is death. There's no hope outside of Christ, but in Christ, oh man, I'm completely righteous in Christ. Praise the Lord. With Christ as our righteousness, so also we have peace. The peace of God, we have peace with God. Okay, what about the name Melchizedek? It's a big deal. So again, you know, you're like, okay, so, so who's Melchizedek? Ha, 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 he's the, he's the king of peace. He's the king of righteousness. You're skirting the issue. No, I'm not, I gave you two identities for Melchizedek. I, I told you what the Bible said, king of peace, right? He's the, king, he's the king of Salem and he's the king of righteousness. Okay, so that's not gonna satisfy you, let's keep going. Who is Melchizedek? Well, he, Hebrews chapter seven verse three lists some very big problems, there's, there's very real issues here. He, he, whoever he is, Verse three says, Melchizedek is without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Verse three is why a lot of people will say, well, that was a theophany, that was Jesus himself. No recorded lineage, no recorded birth or death. The problem is, verse three says he's made like unto the Son of God. People will say, well, that's what a theophany is. Uh, no. Okay, so just stay with me, okay? Stay with me on this. He's made like unto the Son of God, abideth the priest continually. So is he the pre-incarnate Christ? No, the answer is no. Hebrews is very clear. Christ's priesthood is after the order of Melchizedek, after the similitude of Melchizedek. Melchizedek is a type of Christ, but he's not the Christ. Because Christ is ordained into his line. You see, two separate identities, Christ being ordained into Melchizedek's line. He doesn't say he's ordained into his own line. But here's the clincher, okay? Melchizedek was a man, man. How do I know? Well, keep reading. So many of your questions in the Bible just get answered if you'll just keep reading. Verse four says, now consider how great this, what was? He's a man, man unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. People will ask, well what about Enoch or Adam? Got two peculiar figures, you know, Adam was the first guy that didn't have a mama. Maybe it was Adam or Enoch, you know, he didn't have an end. I mean Hebrews three says uh, he you know, abides continually. Enoch got raptured. Well the problem is, is we have their lineage, okay, we know that that Adam was the son of God, Luke 3.38, he was made by God. Um, you say, well, that's pretty weak. I mean, that's weak sauce. Christ is God. So you, there, you have his lineage. He always was and is and will ever be, you know? <laughs> but uh, Adam died. We know that. We have that in Scripture. Enoch was raptured. He's not on planet Earth. Well, what if, what if he came back? Well, there's nothing about that recorded in Scripture, and, and besides, you know who Enoch's daddy was. However, there is a key pre-flood patriarch that does remain at this point and his name is Shem. Shem's very much alive at this point. Shem is alive until Abraham is 150 years old. So at this time of Melchizedek blessing Abram, bringing out bread and wine, blessing Abram, Shem is 530 years old. He's still got another 70 years. He'll live, remember, he'll live to be 600. So was Melchizedek Shem? Well, the problem, again, according to Hebrews 7, verse 3, without lineage, right, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Okay, well, we know all of that about Shem. We know Shem's genealogy. Um, So how can it be Shem? But that's exactly Right, it's exactly because the Bible does not list, and this is the thing I want you to get, the Bible does not list Melchizedek's lineage, his beginning or his end. Why? Well, I think probably so that you don't get to be emphatic about who he is, but also so that the type is perfect. Melchizedek has to be a perfect type of Christ. That's why Moses does not record his lineage. You with me? So that the picture will be perfect. So when Hebrews comes along, Without father, mother, without lineage, beginning or end, right? Without a timeline, why? Because you're not to miss, he is a perfect type of Christ. Christ is ordained into his priesthood, so pay attention to Melchizedek and that gives you insight into the person of Christ as prophet, priest, and king. However, I will say this, the book of Jasher, Jasher is not scripture, it is an apocryphal book But it says explicitly that Melchizedek is Shem. Um, Jasher 16, verse 11, and I notice I made it blue and I italicized it so that you'd know this is not scripture, okay? Oh, it it didn't show up blue on my PowerPoint. That's blue, y'all, okay? Uh, Blue, not Bible, okay, yeah. So, Adonizedek, uh, Jasher 16:11 and Adonizedek, king of Jerusalem, the same was Shem. Went out to meet, went out with his men to meet Abram and his people with bread and wine, and they remained together in the valley of Melech. And Adonizedek blessed Abram, and Abram gave him a tenth from all that he had brought uh, 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 from the spoil of his enemies. And for Adonizedek was a priest before the Lord. Uh, so Jasher says that Melchizedek was Shem. That's what Jasher says. So. It's key that, I mean, he can be fine. There can be a name in Jasher, but whatever. I mean, that's not scripture. The Bible does not identify him as such to keep the type correct. Hebrews 7, verse 14. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest. So just like Melchizedek, high priest, comes out of nowhere, so also that prophet, who is our great high priest, doesn't come from Levi. He springs out of Judah. The type is perfect. So, who was Melchizedek? I can tell you I know absolutely for sure his identity. Are you ready for it? Get ready, get this down in your notes. He is... Feel like we need a drum roll. What's his name? Melchizedek. It's Melchizedek. You know how I know? My Bible tells me so. That's who he is. It's Melchizedek. The B I B L E, man. That's the book for me. <laughs> it's Melchizedek. I know that for sure. Now, if I had to say who it's going to be, well, I'd say Shem, because that's the only dude that's still on planet Earth that obviously has an abiding relationship. I mean, he was delivered from the flood, y'all, okay? Uh, I I would go with Shem, but I wouldn't be emphatic about it. Why would you you waste your time arguing about who Melchizedek is when the Bible tells you that it's Melchizedek? Like, I don't know, it seems like a no-brainer to me. Okay, let's wrap it up. His authority, don't miss this, Melchizedek's authority. Here we have the first mention of tithing in our Bible, and it's long before God gives the law long before God gave Moses the law. So get this down in your notes. Tithing has always been God's plan for the support of his earthly ministry. Did you get that? From before the law, okay, you know, well, that that was the law, so we don't tithe. Well, I mean, thou shalt not kill is in the law too. Tis so sweet. Me and Jesus. Wee, wee, wee. I mean, come on. Tithing has always been God's plan to support his earthly ministry. So here it is, Hebrews seven verse four. Now consider, so verse two says, to Melchizedek, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. Verse four, now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. Why does he do that? Because he's a picture of Christ. And verily, they that are the sons of Levi who receive the office of the priesthood have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. So get this down, tithing takes place before the dispensation of the law. It was absolutely codified in the giving of the law and in terms of a principle, okay, in the New Testament, dispensation, the age of grace, in the Pauline epistles, you're not gonna see a command to tithe. Uh, You're gonna see a command to, to, I mean, that's weak sauce for the New Testament believer. Okay, the New Testament believer doesn't just tithe. They give the whole of who they are and all that they are and all that they have. They manage it all as stewards of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that you, everything God made you, everything God entrusted to you, it's not yours. You are not yours. Your stuff is not yours, your family is not yours, your bank account is not yours, none of it's yours. You are a steward and it's required of of, of stewards that a person be found faithful. God requires that of his servants, that we be faithful. So everything that I am, everything that I have, am I managing it for the glory of God? Uh, From time to time, there'll be a lazy person that will say, I just wanna give everything to the church and you manage it. No, that's, not, that's not my job, that's not the church's job, it's your job to manage who you are and what you have for the glory of God. You're God's steward, so it's your responsibility. But man, I mean, you see in the New Testament, you see giving all the way up through the giving of your life. Jesus settles for nothing less than you taking up your cross and following after the Lord Jesus Christ. Now there's nothing in your Bible that says God's, God's not looking at the tithe. There's nothing that's, I mean, if it was before the law, Say, well, I, I can't find, the, you know, thou shalt tie the tenth in the New Testament. Well, it was before the law. And in the New Testament, nothing less than total consecration is required for the mature believer, right? You are called to give all into his service, even to the laying down of your life. You see, Paul in Philippians chapter 4 talking about people who sacrificed. They gave so much it hurt to make missions possible. So what we teach here is, tithing is just a starting place, okay? That's just a starting place. Learn obedience, just learn to submit to God. Learn that principle of taking, this is what Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Okay, so if your treasure is on your resources, okay, so a lot of us, this represents resources for a lot of us, okay? And this is how I interact with my bank and this is where I keep my cash and, and uh, this is how I can even make a mess for myself financially. There's credit cards in here. I mean, this could be like a catastrophe if I don't manage this right. And so, so this, is, this becomes a nexus point for all my treasure. Is everybody with me so far? Where your treasure is there, will, I mean, where's your heart if that's your treasure? It's on your, be careful, we're in church. It's on your own, it's on yourself, right? It's on your own, uh, right? It's on It's on you, it's on your own rear, <laughs> okay? Be careful. There it is. Where your treasure, treasure is, there's your, God's a genius, so what he does with the tithe is he says, okay, the first of everything that I entrust you, you give it back into, Serve, give it, just put it back into service for my kingdom. So now what am I doing? Okay, Lord, thank you for this dollar, but I acknowledge you in all my ways. I'm gonna seek you first, okay? I'm gonna give you glory first, and so out of what you've entrusted to me, the first bill, the first payment, the first disbursement, the first investment is gonna be into your kingdom. Now where's my treasure? God is a genius. He makes sure to remind us that everything belongs to his glory. Everything should fall out to his glory and so he institutes the tithe. He he institutes free will offerings, uh, free will giving. You'll see that in scripture but then you'll you'll also see sacrifice for missions. What will happen though is people, this is the problem that people face, we don't understand the mindset of God's kingdom. God will allow us to face lean times to test our faith and to see will we, put God's, will, will we put God first. And to fail to do so is to fail in faith and, and, and God will let us reap that. And so I've heard this a number of times over the years. Uh, things are tight and I can't afford to give. I can't afford to tithe. I can't afford to put God first financially. I can't afford to do it. It's just too tight. It's, too, it's, it's, it's just too difficult. Um, my counsel to everyone is this, you can't afford not to. Uh, You can't afford not to put God first. Uh, To fail to do so is to basically say before the Lord, I can't trust you. I can't trust you with the first dime out of every dollar, so I'm not trusting you with the other 90 cents. I'm not trusting you with that whole dollar. I'm not trusting you with the account that it's attached to. I'm not trusting you with the life that it's attached to. In other words, I have to watch out for myself. I can't trust the Lord to watch out for my rear, right? I can't trust the Lord to have my, have my back. And so this was God's complaint. In Malachi chapter three, verse eight, he says, "'Will a man rob God? "'Yet ye have robbed me. "'But you say, wherein have we robbed thee?' I mean, you can't rob God. How can you rob God, I mean he's God. Well here's how, in tithes and offerings. And so here's the problem, you're cursed with a curse for you've robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. And he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the, before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all the nations shall call you blessed, for you shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. Brother, sister, you cannot afford to not put God first in your life. You say, what, 10%, that's a lot. Um, have, you, have you looked at withholding on your paycheck? 10% is nothing, okay? And you say, well, see, I'm already getting robbed six ways to Sunday, and now you're, you're holding me up this morning, Pastor. Let me just tell you something. If that's your money, you keep it. You're not a steward. If that's your money, you keep it. You're not a steward. You got bigger problems than giving. As a matter of fact, this church has learned a long time ago, we don't have to have anyone's particular obedience in order to be able to move forward in faith as a local church. We paid every bill, we've not paid one in credit card interest. Hello, somebody, okay? Now, we use them all the time to get the points and, and there's like, you get rebates and stuff, you know, but that's, I mean, I mean, as long as they're handing out money, we'll take it. We have not paid one penny in interest, in interest. Now, there's a lot that this church is not doing because we got a lot of people who are robbing God. Did you get that? Now, everything that God's called us to, we're moving forward in faith. We're absolutely, we're moving forward in faith. It blows my mind that we don't have Will Mata and Jeff Grasher on staff full time. I can't believe that we don't. If everybody gave in faith, in obedience, saying, okay, God, you're first in my life, I'm gonna trust you, and what I'm gonna do is, if I need it, I'm gonna get financial counseling. I'll tell you, this is what happened in my life whenever I started giving first to the Lord, right? Uh, That forced me to take a critical look at how I was spending the other nine dimes and that made me a wiser spender, a wiser investor, okay? And then I grow grow in the Lord and I grow in maturity and I've got this job and I'm I'm still giving, I'm giving 10% and and I heard some guys at at work, they were Christians talking about, do you give off net or gross? And I'm like, I have not even heard whether there be such a thing as net or gross. (laughs) And they're like, you're a moron. Do you have a pay stub? Do you have a, like, look. I, then I found out I was getting robbed six ways to Sunday and I couldn't believe it. I'm like, oh, holy moly, I'm like, government is expensive. And, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, you, you tithe on the whole thing? You don't just tithe on your net? You tithe on gross? And I'm like, yeah. Uh, one of them, had, you know, he was an older gentleman, uh, full of faith. He's like, I, I do more than that. I'm supporting missionaries and and projects in service to the Lord's kingdom all over the world, and I've never missed a bill. And this is the first time I heard it. You know, I'm a young man. He said, he said, you can't ever outgive God. It just doesn't work. You can't do it. And so, you know, I I go home and Cheryl and I have this conversation, and I'm like, oh, you know, I. I, I I think God's telling me I need, to, I need to give more. And she's like, yeah, that's just, I'm just waiting for you to clue in. And okay, so we did, we started giving more, and, and uh, my, the business that I was in grew. I started actually making more money. I had more disposable income after I started giving a greater percentage. And every time God's called us to give more, whether it's a free will offering or some sacrificial giving, Um, You know, I've I've had seasons in my life and I'm still kind of working through it. It's one of those things that I keep before the Lord. Every time I've given sacrificially, um, like it hurt to give it. There's some way that we did without in order to give it um, within no time. It's always within a few days or just a few months. It all gets replaced and then some. And it's like, can I sacrifice? Like this is the question in the back of my mind. I'm not... I shouldn't have even said this. I should have kept my mouth shut. Uh, so please don't, like, all the disclaimers I could possibly give, okay? Like, there's this thought in the back of my mind could I sacrificially give myself to like a million bucks? <laughs> you know? It's like, because it always gets replaced and then something. Like, like I'm, I've learned I can't actually outgive him, you know? What I need to be is a faithful steward. There'll be some. There'll be somebody that'll give everything away and then they're like, I'm out on the street and it's the pastor's fault. You're a steward, use your head. You and God work that out. But it's true, a lot of people, they're robbing God because they think they can't afford to submit to him. You're a fool. You're a fool. Look at God in Malachi 3. Prove me, try me, watch. Everything you do is just turning to dust and waste and you're wondering why you can't get ahead, Matthew 6, man, seek me first, right? Seek God first, seek him first, and his righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and what you need, that'll be added unto you. At MBT, uh, we want to invite you to just start with being obedient, just give. The first dime out of every dollar, that goes into just general giving, and then from there, trust God to grow in your giving, Uh, Start supporting a missionary, even if it's at 10 bucks a month, right? Just just start supporting. Be a part of the kingdom. Whenever a special project comes up, find a way to give, to do without something in order to be a part of some sacrificial giving and watch God bless your life. Now, real quick, notice Abram's response to the king of Sodom. We're going to contrast his response to Melchizedek where he's giving a tenth of the spoils to his response to the king of Sodom. The king of Sodom said unto Abram, give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. You keep the other nine dimes. You keep everything else. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up my hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, that, and and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say I have made Abram rich. Save only that which the young men have eaten and the portion of the men which went with me, Aner, Ashkel, Mamre, let them take their portion. Let them take a cut, because they're not part of my household, they helped me fight the fight. And the boys, whatever they ate, they don't have to pay it back. Those are your wages, those are your charges for us getting you your riches back. So Melchizedek, what's he doing? This meeting with Melchizedek prepares Abram for the foul play that's getting ready to come from the king of Sodom. He's setting a trap. So get this down in your notes. Verses 21 and 23 is the king of Sodom trying to, in one move, take and make their deliverer, Abram, into a thief. The result would be his testimony would be ruined in Canaan, Abram's rich, because he, he took it all from Sodom. He had a better army and, and you know, the guy with the biggest guns, the, biggest, the best armaments wins. So what's happening here? There's, this is a great test. Abram has had a great victory and now there's a great test. And he passes, Abram will not take the spoil. He will not possess the riches of immoral Sodom. He's not gonna do it. See, too many today win some great spiritual, I mean a great spiritual battle only to turn around and make a mess. They fall into a trap. No way is Abram gonna do that. But people do it all the time. Elijah, man, he called down, I mean, he called down fire from God out of heaven, proved that there was a God in Israel, and did away with the priesthood of Baal at Mount Carmel. I mean, incredible victory. And then what follows? He falls into a great spiritual trap. I mean, he ends up in a great depression, running from a, 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 a literal wicked Jezebel. You read about that in 1 Kings 19. Somebody comes to the place where they realize that they need to be a disciple, and so they engage, man. They sign up, they go through costs of discipleship, they sign up, and then the world comes calling. Hey, here's an opportunity to sell out to Sodom. That great job that you always wanted, you can get it in another city where no churches are discipling. You can do that. Finally, you're learning your Bible, and then finally she calls and reconsiders, I want you back, babe. I know I told you that you were a piece of trash and I never wanted to see you again, but I can't stop thinking about you, said the skank that's gonna shut down your discipleship. Oh, it works the other way. I mean, how many times have we seen a, a godly young woman on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ, man? I mean, she's, I mean, she's a pit bull for Jesus and she has like kicking spiritual tail and taking names and then just some bum comes along and wrecks her life. Just selling out to Sodom. Great spiritual victory, Short, short-circuited by a love of the things of this world. You say, you, I mean, you're just, you're being mean, Pastor. Do not waste your life. Seek him first in his righteousness. Right, Let him, acknowledge him in all your ways. Let the Lord order your steps what you need to make it through this life, God's gonna take care of that for you. The goal of Sodom is to shut down spiritual victory in the believer's life and so Abram says no, I see it. I see my reward and my possession is from God alone so God gave Abraham the whole land. Here's Sodom trying to make Abraham out to be a thief and and really he's trespassing on Abram's land. God God promised to give it all to Abraham anyway, so he doesn't have to sell out in the moment. He can trust God for the future. Everything is through Christ anyway. This is why Romans four verse thirteen says he's heir of the world. Romans four thirteen says, For the promise that he should be heir of the world was not to Abraham nor to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Abraham said, I believe God. You keep your money. I have my Lord. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name and Lord, I'm praying for my brothers and sisters in this place. Lord, help us to not sell out. Help us to not sell out in terms of our flesh, this world, or the lies of the enemy. God, help us not to sell out. Think about a, you know, friends of mine who started out as disciples and end up selling out for a better paycheck, a bigger paycheck. And uh, the logic's always the same. They gotta make hay while the sun's shining. But if it's not in faith as, as you as our provider, uh, Lord, it's all going to burn at the judgment seat of Christ. And so God, I'm begging you for wisdom for brothers and sisters that God, we'd see that you're our supply, that we can trust you, that Lord, you're calling us to nothing less than complete 100% consecration to you, your kingdom, your mission, And so God, would you have your way with every heart and life here today? God, I'm asking in Jesus' name, if there's any here today that do not know that they're born again, they don't know that they have a saving relationship through Christ, through his sacrifice, through the finished work at Calvary, that today would be the day of salvation. God, you're worth being right with. Help us to humble ourselves. For everyone who has been... Lying to you and to themselves, and they've been robbing. Uh, they've been acting as thieves. They've stolen their time, their resources, the finances. Uh, Lord, the things that you've entrusted to them to use for your glory. God, I pray that today would be a day of repentance and that they'd submit themselves to you and that God, so help you, God, by your grace in faith, that they'd move forward serving you as. As as faithful stewards, effective stewards. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.